Hi everyone and welcome back to our podcasting series, Care to Listen. In this, our fifth series, we will be exploring diversity, inclusion and identity. So let me just give you a little bit of background to these, our diversity role model podcasts. These podcasts are an opportunity to get younger people and older people together to talk about their experience of what it's like to belong to groups of people who share unique characteristics. Hi everyone and welcome back. I'm here talking with one of our foster carers, Vicky, um, and we are here to talk about our own individual experiences of our gender. Welcome, Vicky. Hiya, how are you doing? I'm not too bad. Um, good, good. How should we start this? Very good question. Okay, so let's start by putting you on the spot then. Um, how about you describe yourself, because that's very often the best way for people to, to do it, rather than me presume. You tell us. Gosh, well, that's um, becoming an increasingly um, more interesting question for me. I hadn't really given my sense of identity much thought really until the summer where we began to explore diversity and inclusion um, with the young people. Um, so I've realised it's constantly evolving every day and different parts of my identity kind of sit almost in juxtapositions to one another, but I'll, I'll try and give it a go. So yeah, probably quite intersectional. Um, I use the pronouns she, her. Um, I am cisgendered and that means that I resonate with the gender that I was assigned at birth, that being female. So I'm a single mum, I'm a lesbian, I grew up in the north of Ireland. I was brought up as a Catholic and this um, still resonates with me in, in lots of ways. And this in itself sits in opposition to my identity as a lesbian. Um, I was brought up working class, but I seem to have sort of amassed a good amount of cultural capital now. So I probably can't say that I'm very working class now, but um, it's very difficult to separate your experience, childhood experiences from who you are today. Um, I experienced a significant amount of childhood adverse experiences, and this helps me relate to a lot of the experiences that the young people um, uh, that I work with have. Um, um, and I would describe myself as a trans ally. Um, so that's my little synopsis, I suppose. Would you like to describe yourself? Sure. So firstly, um, having had a little bit of experience with you in the past, you certainly are a trans ally. That's that's the easy one to tick. Um, so um, I'm post-op trans, so she and her. Um, yeah, I grew up in a time of very um, clear-cut binary view, um, did uh, all the guy stuff, ticked all the boxes, went very mad on sports and leadership in business, all that sort of thing. So yeah, um, what, six, six years since I transitioned. Um, and yeah, I, yeah, that's where I'm at now, so. Um, and are you, are you sort of open in your everyday life about being a trans woman? Yeah, so um, I've got no issues with answering questions. I'm very honest about it all. Um, you know, anybody that knows me knows I am. I don't hide it in any way. In fact, if people are uncertain rather than let them guess, if, if they're looking a bit puzzled, I'll quite often go, yeah, yeah, I am. Don't worry about it. 
because it's just easier. Um, you know, acceptance breeds acceptance in my world. So if people see that you're you're accepting of their doubt, they're less likely to challenge you. Um, like, would you say that you're like the trans is a sort of like a journey or is it a spectrum or is it like a destination? So I would say it's all of those. Um, so it's a complicated answer, but I'll try and do it very simply. Um, every person is different, as we all know, you know, no two pair of eyes are the same. When I look at it, um, first of all, it's a spectrum because different people have a different uh, idea of what it means. Whilst we try and put it in boxes, each person has their own view and to fulfill their need is different to a different person. So the way I view it is very, very simple. We all go down a, on a train and we head off in a direction. Now, some of those people will get off after a short time. Some will get on later. Some will get off, and get back on again. Some will get on the train going the other direction. There's no you know, one path that's perfect for everybody. Um, I, I know many, many people that have said to me at the beginning that they weren't transgender, they just liked to dress and that was it. And of the three people I've discussed with in detail, all of them are now uh, either waiting for surgery or had surgery. Because a lot of it is self-acceptance and that's the bit we don't get to see very easily. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so one of the young people asked me how I knew that I was cisgendered and I was really kind of struck by this question that I was surprised that I hadn't asked myself this question before. And I guess a lot of the reasons why I have not asked myself this question before is because when when you grew up in the 70s and the 80s um, in Northern Ireland as a Catholic, no one ever really asked me to think about these things or to explore these things or to give me an opportunity to consider them. And I guess many people of my age and generation uh, feel like this as well. It's not unusual. But when I compare it to how I bring up my my own son, who was 12, he has been given many opportunities to consider his gender and to consider his sexuality. And he will have ongoing opportunities and invitations to explore his sense of identity, sense of self. So I think, um, yes, we were disadvantaged um, in terms of being given permission to explore those ideas um, because of my age and because of my background. Do you, do you think, had, had it been more acceptable back when you were younger, do you think that would have been something you would have um, considered had, had it been more possible? So my personal journey, um, I, I can only tell you mine because that's the only one we truly, truly know of. Um, my mum has disclosed to me in the last couple of years that even before I could speak, I was demonstrating behaviours. Um, so for argument's sake, she uh, would be putting her makeup on and I would sit on the bed next to her, gesture that I wanted something on my face, she put makeup on me, Alice Band in my hair, before I could even speak, and I was happy all day. So had it been more available, of course I would take it. I didn't understand it then. I understand it far better now. I'm very much uh, comfortable with it and at ease with it. Um, and I think we do need to open the doors, but we have to be cognizant of um, a lot of factors that influence those decisions. And I think it's very important we understand those for each person, because I said earlier, everything is different. 
But yeah, I mean, I, I, if, if it had been around, in, you know, in my day, if it was like today, I would not have hesitated to ask for help around it had I understood what that's what it was. Yeah, because there's very poor statistics that surround um, poor mental health and suicide rates within the trans community and within the young trans population. And I just wonder if we made it more, uh, well, if we made it easier just to talk about these issues earlier, whether that might help um, reduce the anxiety and the stress and all those things. What do you think? Yeah, I think I think the, the trouble is, you know, back in my time, and I am old, let's have no illusions, I'm the other side of 50. Um, so in, in my time, to tell your friends that you had doubts about your masculinity, just just you could not do that. You know, you, you would be shunned and you would be put in a corner. But even worse, not only could you not talk to anybody, you had no way to look it up, no way to rationalise it, no way to understand it. And when in the turning point for me that really made it relevant, I was 24, 25, I was working on a paintball site. A group of girls from Essex came down and all the lads on the site were like, oh yeah, fancy her, she'd be lucky, all those silly male comments they do. And all I could think was, I wish I could wear my hair like that, look at her skirt. And I realised whatever I did, I was never going to get away from it. When I realised that, I started slowly progressing towards that journey. But I had no one to talk to. You couldn't tell the girls because they tell everybody else. You couldn't tell the guys because they would tell everybody else. You were going to be judged. You couldn't tell your GP in those days because your GP was a gruff old man who sat there and told you, yes, your knee worked or it didn't. There was no mental health support as there is today. So I think it would save a lot of people a lot of angst if we could openly talk about it. Definitely. Yeah, brilliant. Um, I agree, and the young people I've been talking to um, from this community have have echoed exactly what you've what you've said that it's it's great that there's all the support groups and they can talk to peers about their experiences. Um, yeah, and have you ever, you know, have you experienced discrimination? Um, I've had some, um, but like everybody, it's it's a you know it's a personal event, and it's how we you as a person deal with it. It's. Um, I've seen some some quite bizarre situations, um, but generally uh, uh, the things that I find is much more passive aggressive. So um, people would say things to me like, oh, I don't like trannies, but you're all right. And, and silly comments like that, that um, what they're saying is I don't really understand, but you know, I don't mind you, you're an okay person. In fact, quite a lot of people have said, I really like you and you've helped me understand. Mm. Um, I have had people that have been quite aggressive. Um, I've had friends have had, you know, they've actually ended up getting slapped or punched or whatever. Very unpleasant. But most of it, bizarrely, is the guy concerned. It's their ego that's challenged. The person is minding their own business. The guy has taken a liking to them. So it's not actually being trans that's the issue. So it's actually that person's problem. Now, you can be offended. You can get upset by it or you can actually recognise it's their problem, not yours. So, like all of us, it's a decision you make, isn't it? Yeah, we've got a long way to go. Social change takes an awful long time, doesn't it? I think, firstly, you change the laws that protect people, and then the really the hard, long work is about trying to affect that change, and that take, might take quite a long time. You can just, when you look back at some of the laws that, that have been introduced, I don't know, like, like smoking indoors or, you know, 
drink driving or seatbelts or any of those things. Everyone's kind of kicking off about it. And, and then they just get on with it. And then it just becomes acceptable. And I would hope that it will be the same around discrimination, that once we get our heads around the laws and then there's a bit of social acceptance, it would be unthinkable to discriminate against people on the basis of their gender or their sexuality or their race or their skin colour or ethnicity. Um, and I think that's where we need to be looking forward. Do you know what I mean? That that it would be unthinkable to discriminate against anybody. And you're right, you're you're right, Olivia, but it's it's not long past the 50 year marker that it was it used to be illegal to be gay in this country. And you still see prejudice, you still see it at football matches, you still see you know, racism at football matches. And I think people are beginning to be aware that those that stay quiet don't necessarily agree with the vocal person. And it is beginning to be more and more apparent. And the noisy ones who are being unfair and unreasonable are being pulled out rather than made to feel it's okay. Yeah. And that's, I guess that's a part of being an ally is, is learning about some of the issues um, and being given the confidence to stand up on behalf. You might not belong to that community, but you can stand up on behalf of black people or brown people or who you know whoever. Um, yeah. And that's the important thing of, of allyship, really. Um, totally, yeah. totally. And, and that, that's it, Olivia. It's standing together against the people that are, in effect, quite ignorant in their behaviours. It's educating them that it's not OK. Yeah, because I think oftentimes people um, are either accidentally discriminatory or like ignorant but i always think we don't really have enough room anymore there's so much information out there there's we shouldn't be ignorant anymore we've got a responsibility to educate ourselves to recognize that you know equity we need we need to be stretching out a hand to help these people up to give them a platform we can't just expect people to you know disable people to to stand up for themselves well they might need a ramp <laughs> to stand up do you know what i mean um, in order to have equal access we need to sort of give them a helping hand up and so maybe the voices of the sort of trans community maybe they need a, a, an extra help up to get on the platform and feel that they can be heard or whatever so it's a, it's a society needs to change and we but we can only change this fact we can't we can't push it can we no, you're absolutely right. And, and I mean, you, you know, you've touched on something there I and mean, there's a couple of bits that I'm going to draw you back to. I mean, you said about, um, you know, looking down and, and whatever, but I think it's very clear that as a society, we need to understand that you should never look down unless you're reaching a hand to help them up rather than thinking you're better than. I think that's really important. You've mentioned about being an ally um, and you've described yourself as one. And I, I know you are, but you know, for the sake of the listeners, can you take me through, you know, what what you see from that? How, how do you think we can help people with that sort of stuff? Yes, so the Youth Council got together over the summer and they felt that, the young people felt that it'd be really useful for some foster carers and staff or whatever to have a better understanding of some of the language that surrounds um, the LGBTQ plus community because the language is constantly changing. So um, we made a book um, which describes the very sort of the basic or the main kind of forms of gender and sexual identity. It was a fantastic project. I learned loads from it. Um, so I think number one is about understanding the language um, and understanding what it means to belong to particular groups. I think um, the language is constantly evolving and constantly changing as well. So it's, it's kind of good to kind of stay on top of that. Um, 
I think it's important to ask questions, but to sort of check out with someone first, rather than like launching into a load of questions, whether it's okay that you can ask questions, but get yourself informed, um, challenge people, like we're saying in the pub or on the train station, if people are being racist or transphobic or whatever. Um, I think these little gestures, like asking people what pronouns they want to be called, um, using your correct pronouns, that can kind of create, um, generate in itself like some conversations like oh why why are you saying cisgender or why are you saying you know she her um and it just shows that you recognize that there is other there is there's another way of being like that people say why do you cisgender you're like well you know i could be trans or I could, you know um so it opens those conversations um i think if you join listening groups i think that gives you a really good insight um i can imagine that what legacy I leave behind. And if I feel really, really happy about the legacy that I've left behind in terms of my attitudes and campaigning or whatever, then I think that's um, probably quite a good starting place. Yeah, so what, what do you think makes a good ally? I, I think you're right. And I think, um, as we touched on earlier, acceptance breeds acceptance, but I think we need to be vocal in our acceptance. We need to be clear that we do stand with these people and not let what appears to be the mass intimidate you know when somebody's being challenged or threatened when there's two of you that threat has reduced instantly if somebody's standing next to you they don't have to be the same color they don't have to have the same um uh, gender they don't have to have the same ideals but knowing they're not on their own you can make that person's life so much easier instantly so i think you're absolutely on the nose it's um it's very important to show support yeah um and one of the young people, it struck me, they were like perhaps 13 or 14. And they said, you know, we don't, don't panic. We've, we, don't, we don't need to change this in, um, in a few years. We've come such a long way, but we've, we've, got, we've got like a really long time. We don't need to push people down a road that they're not ready to go down. I like what, what does Gandhi say, Leonard? Let me get this right. Um, first, they ignore you then they laugh at you, then they fight with you, and then you win. And I wonder whether we're sort of in between laughing and fighting. And if we're in between laughing and fighting, we might be halfway there of gaining better understanding and knowledge and maybe society accepting. So um, I think we're further than halfway. And I think that what we've really got is that um, you know, people can dress as they want. Nowadays, they can go out and be themselves. And I think part of the problem is for the individuals. Um, and I'll give you a simple example. When I first went out the front door um, dressed, um, it was all a new experience for me. And I expected to find, as I stepped out the door, um, armed police, a helicopter with a searchlight on, um, you know, the, the prison van waiting. And the reality was nothing. I went out, I had a lovely evening, I came home and it was all good and the next time it was easier. And because of all the people that didn't judge me, the people that were accepting, the, and I went out somewhere that was a, a sensible, safe place to go, to be fair. I didn't go mainstream at the beginning. But all those people that are just like, hey, how are you? Are you all right? What's going on? And as you say, some asked some really good questions. Some were just, just they smiled and nodded and just carried on on their way. And that's all you need because then you are reassured. And that is 
an ally at the very smallest level all the way through, as you've said. So, yeah, I, I believe you're absolutely right. And did you have um, did you have any trouble? I mean, how long have you been a foster carer? Um, I'm just about to start my fifth year as a foster carer. Right, brilliant. And how was that? Did you have any sort of issues coming through the fostering panel process? So, um, very, very simply, I don't think it could have been done better. I think Five Rivers were exceptionally good. Um, they are not a group that have prejudice, which is fantastic. If you can prove you're worthy of the process, you are worthy of the process. Um, you know, I, I think it's good because the more people you've got that are trans, because there's plenty of children now coming through, young adults coming through that need that support. And I've said many times to many different carers who have children that they're not sure and whatever, you know, get them to ring me if you want, ring, ring them, ring me yourself and we'll talk together. It doesn't matter. The point being, as long as they know there's somebody that can support, it all helps. But Five Rivers were awesome. Um, from the carer's perspective, uh, again, you know, no issues at all. Um, I, I've had some really challenging conversations with people, but it's never once been a prejudice. It's always been, I believe it should be like this. They believe it should be like that. And we talk about how we fix things, but it's never been related to gender or anything like that. Everybody's been very mature and very professional about it. It's been really nice. Yeah, and that's the thing, actually, you need to talk about these things. We need to enter into dialogue so we can understand where people are coming from, uh, because the worst thing we can do is is nothing. To not have the conversation is worse than having a difficult conversation. So most definitely. Um, yeah. Well, listen, it was really to talk to you. Um, is there anything else you, you would like to say or? No, I just I just think that um, what you're doing is amazing. I, I hopefully you know, long may it continue. Um, and I think that Five Rivers have, have got this bit in the right place. And I think the more, as I said already, you know, the more accepting we are as a group, the more accepting people will be of what we're doing and how we're doing. Um, and I just think it's just fantastic. I, I've had a look at the book and it is really good. Um, you know, it's it's a real bonus for everybody. And I, I think when people have a look, it'll help them understand. And as you say, don't be shy to ask questions. Yeah, well, I'm in a very lucky, privileged position to to be working within children's participation and they keep me on my toes. So, um, yeah, I'm grateful really to Five Rivers for giving the young people so much sort of like credit and taking them so seriously and valuing the child's voice. So I'm very lucky. And, you know, we are a very diverse organisation and it's brilliant that they recognise that really. So, yeah. Listen, Vicky, I will let you go back to your busy life, to your children and your foster children and gosh knows what else you do. It was really lovely talking to you and I hope to see you very soon. Thank you ever so much for your time. You take care. Brilliant. You're a star. Thanks a million. Bye. Bye. -bye. All right. So you've been listening to the Five Rivers Childcare Family podcast series, Care to Listen. For any more information, please contact us on participation at five hyphenrivers.org. Thanks for listening. Original soundtrack, Proud to Be Me, written, produced and recorded by the Five Rivers 